great to be with you this morning. First um, Peter chapter 2 is where we're going to be, but as we begin, I got to ask you, does anybody now know what or where this slide is? Can you see the we are? You see that? This, it's not like this is one of those, uh, you know, find the thing in the puzzle. And if, if you're really, really smart, you can do it in eight seconds. And if you're not as smart, it might take you 18. No. Anybody know where that is? Penn State. Penn State. Yeah. Is anybody? Um, now, folks. If, if you are non-Penn State people, it's okay. Relax. If you're whatever kind of uh, team, that's not what this is about this morning. But um, on the campus of Penn State is this, uh, I forget, whatever they call it, a uh, piece of art, all right? We are. And it's all about, if you're a Penn State fan, you know exactly what it's all about. You may be in Walmart or Sam's or Chick-fil-A with a Penn State shirt or hat or whatever paraphernalia, and somebody might see that and yell out, we are, and what do they expect you to do? Penn State, right? And, and, and that's what it is, and, 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 and God brought that to mind this, uh, this week as I was studying, and it, it's a cheer that Penn State is involved in, and if you've ever been to a game and even not, uh, before the game starts, if you want to be there really early, you can be there when the coach and the team all march in with the cheerleaders in the band, and they're yelling, we are Penn State, we are Penn State, and, and they do it outside, and then when they get into the stadium, the beginning of the game, and later during the game, it's, they get the whole crowd going, we are Penn State, we are Penn State, and folks, I'm not even a Penn State fan. If anybody knows me here, you know I'm a Michigan State fan. Thank you. Yes, but I saw I couldn't pass this up. So this phrase, we are Penn State, goes beyond the football game. It goes outside of the stadium. It's so big now that even during freshman orientation at the beginning of the, each new year with the incoming class, they yell that. They drill this we are Penn State into the heads of new students. They even have it at some of the graduation ceremonies. I don't know if anybody's graduated from there when they did that, but they want to remind those graduates that they are part of the Penn State family and for the alumni who are there as parents or grandparents or friends, they want to remind them that you're still part of the Penn State family, all the alumni that's involved in there. And of course, uh, if you looked on the website, you would find out that, that it says this about that statement. At its core, the phrase instills a sense of community and connection to one university geographically dispersed. And the goal is obviously to establish an identity for those students that are coming in, for those students that have been there who are alumni, that's their school, that's their identity, that's what they want everybody to know. We are Penn State. Listen, at the core of your life, 
in your heart of hearts, do you have a sense of community? Do you feel a sense of connection to anyone or to anything? What is your identity? That's critical for you to know that. And we're going to make some points this morning from the Word of God. If you know and follow Jesus, are you part of a community? Do you have a sense of connection to those who, like you, know and follow Jesus? Do you know who you are? With whom do you identify? If you had to fill in this blank for you, we are, and I'm not looking for another college or university or whatever. That's not what it's about. I'm talking about you. You as an individual, if you're going to fill in this blank, we are. What would you put in the blank? We are what? Well, if you know Jesus, if you've been given a new birth, if you have a living hope, if you've got that indestructible inheritance waiting for you in heaven, if you've been redeemed by the blood, the precious blood of Jesus Christ, and if you believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, Peter says that you are part of a community. You are part of a family. You are connected to a group of people. You have an identity. And in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verses 4 to 10, your identity is really spelled out very clearly. Peter says, you are the people of God. You are the church. I thought about this morning getting one side to yell, we are, and the other side to say, the people of God. And, and, and I wasn't sure if everybody would be into that or not, but folks, we ought to have that kind of passion. If 100,000 people can sit in the football stadium and have that kind of passion, we are Penn State, and schools all over the country do that kind of thing at all kinds of levels. If people can do that for that meaningless, temporary, soon-to-go-away kind of a thing, for us who know an eternal God with an eternal inheritance, a never-ending hope, the promise of our salvation one day when Jesus Christ is revealed, we ought to be able to yell out, we are the people of God! And really have that thrill your soul. So this morning, I want you to open your Bibles with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we're going to look at verses 4 to 10. If you don't have a Bible, a hard copy, and you would like to have uh, something to follow along with you underneath the chair in front of you, there should be a Bible there. Um, and uh, you, in that Bible, can turn to page 851. Page 851. I want you this morning to follow along with me uh, as I read verses 4 through 10 of 1 Peter chapter 2. And I'm going to make some comments as we go through that to try to just give you a little bit of understanding of the text because we're really going to land on verses 9 and 10. Verses 9 and 10 are, are just amazing. All of the verses are, but that's where 
where we're going this morning. So, so look at it with me and follow as I read uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 4. As you come to him, the him is Jesus Christ, all right? As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. Jesus, the living stone. We know in John 1, we're told that he came, Jesus, the word, came to his own people, the Jews, and his own people received him not. The Jews were not the only ones who didn't receive him. There are non-Jews, Gentiles all over this world who also have not received him. But there it is, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, now I'm going to make a point here along the way. You there in verse 5. You see the same you down in verse 7. Now to you, starting at verse 9, but you, those are plural pronouns. For those of you that are English teachers, I can tell you that I know that that is a second person plural pronoun, all right? English teacher, there you go. So, Peter is not talking to any one individual believer. He's talking to a group, a group of plural believers that we call what? Hello? The church, yes. That's who Peter's talking to, the church. He says, so verse 5, you also, you plural, you as believers, you as the church, like living stones, he's talking to all the individual believers who form the church. Like living stones, he says, are being built into a spiritual house, the church, who are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in Scripture it says, and in this text there is all kinds of Old Testament reference here. And, and so many would believe that Peter was writing only to a Jewish audience because of all of the Old Testament Scripture that is there. And yet I, I don't think that's the case. It is not primarily, I don't believe, a Jewish audience, but certainly there are there. And so as you go through that, four, verse 6, in Scripture it says... See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him. That cornerstone is Jesus. You could go back to what Paul says in Ephesians. And in Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, he's talking to them about Jesus being the cornerstone, the foundation. And that's what he's talking about. That's what Peter is saying. Chosen and precious cornerstone and the one who trusts in him, in Jesus, in the cornerstone, will never be put to shame. Now here it is again, verse 7. Now to you, again, second person plural. He's not talking to one believer. He's talking to a group of believers. He's talking to the church. He's talking to those who are being built as living stones into a spiritual house. He's talking there to the church, and he says, Now to you who believe, there's how we know it's the church, right? To you who believe, the same, uh, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe. So notice, there are two different groups of people that Peter is referring to. To you who believe, and then he says, verse 7, 
this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe. So we've got everybody in the world, right? Those who believe, those who don't. There's no in-between. Some people act like it, but there's no in-between. You either believe or you don't. And that's who Peter's addressing. He says, but to those who do not believe. Notice when he says, to you who believe. He's talking to them. But then when he says to those, he's talking about a different group because it's not him. Or he would have said to you, but he's talking to a different group, an outside group, not the church. To those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's happened anyway. Whether an unsaved person, a person who doesn't believe, they don't want to believe, that's fine. It happened anyway. All right? Verse 8, and a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. Why do they stumble? Why do they fall? He goes on. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Peter's talking about the church here, folks. He's talking about us who know Jesus. He's talking about the, spirit, the, the spiritual house. Paul refers to that in 2 Timothy 3, or 1 Timothy 3 also, the house household he calls it the church and so as we look at that we understand so he's setting that up he's talking about the church then he says but those who do not believe they've stumbled they've fallen they stumble because they disobey the message they don't believe the truth about Jesus Christ now you may be sitting here this morning in the quietness of your own heart and mind saying I'm not sure I believe in Jesus Christ. And I want to say to you, you need to listen. Because it's critical that you understand whether or not you believe Jesus died for you. God loved this world that he sent his only son, his one and only son, Jesus, to come to this earth, to be born as a man so he could die in our place as a man he did that to pay the penalty for our sin he shed his blood if we would go back into chapter one we'd find that the precious blood of christ that was shed to pay for our sin and when we believe that that's the only way we can be saved and and so stay with me this morning as we talk about that uh, it's critical that we understand now verse nine because here's where we're going to camp. Verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Wow. And if you know Jesus, that ought to have stirred up within you. We are the people of God. Amen. We are the people of God. Amen. And, and then he goes on and he says, verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And he's talking about salvation and forgiveness of sin. 
There's something that we need to grasp this morning from this text, and I've been battling with this, and I, I shared with Jane this morning as I left, every morning when I come upstairs from being downstairs early, she's like, well, you ready? And, and, and I, I'll give her an answer, usually, yeah, yeah. She said that this morning, I said, I don't know. And when Scott and Mitch and I prayed, I'm like, man, I, I'm struggling with this. Not that I don't understand the text, and I think I've concluded that I want to do with this truth, with these verses for you, what only the Holy Spirit of God can do for you. I cannot change your heart. I cannot make you grab hold of this and believe it and live it out. If I could, I would. But that's the critical, that's the thing that I'm struggling with this morning. And, and I want to say this, here's a statement for you. You see, but right there, verse 9, when, when Peter says, but you, it's an emphatic, but you, you are different. We've been talking about that through the whole study so far of 1 Peter, right? Living differently in difficult circumstances, difficult days. Living differently, but you, you are different. You, we have a different identity. And let me say this, get this statement, write it down and think about it. Who you are determines what you do. Who you are determines what you do. And that's part of what I just wish, oh, I could just drive into the hearts and minds of believers all over this country, all over this world, all over this auditorium, that who you are will determine what you do. And Peter's telling us who we are if we know Jesus. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are God's special possession. And if you've been redeemed, if you've experienced that living hope, if, you, if you've been, as we said, born again, if you've experienced the forgiving, cleansing power of the precious blood of Jesus Christ, because when Jesus died, he said that he would rise from the dead. And, and scripture in verses 18 and 19 of 1 Peter chapter 1 says that God raised Jesus from the dead. And because of that, we know that he is God and that what he did, what he said was true. So let me look at these four identifying factors for each of us who know Jesus. But you are a chosen people. The chosen people. The, the word says is race. You are a chosen race. You can't live in 2023 and have your eyes and mind and heart and ears open and not know the word race, right? We hear it all the time. I'm not even close to what we're talking about in our culture, though, here. That's not, because this word race here doesn't have anything to do with eth ethnicity. In fact, it's not a limited ethnicity. It is every ethnicity, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That's what the Bible says. For God so loved the world that whoever, every ethnic person who believes, a new race, a spiritual race, not a red or yellow or black and white race, 
every race who believes. That's the defining character. One writer said it this way. It's a spiritual race, but this race is not defined by color or culture, but by creed, by what we believe. And this, na- this race, this chosen people is one. It's, it's the one in whom we believe, Jesus, that makes us part of that new race, that spiritual race. That's what we're talking about here. You are a chosen people. I still remember sixth grade. Jane and I were talking the other day about all of our teachers from start to finish, or at least at the high school level and under. We're trying to remember all of her names. She had every one, kindergarten through 12. For some reason, I get into junior high and I lose mine. I don't know. Uh, But I can remember for kindergarten, Mrs. Casebolt. And then I remember... For first grade, Mrs. Hill. And I remember second grade, Miss Barrow. And, and right on up the line. And, and as we got talking, we got to sixth grade, and it was Mr. Cook. And, and I remember at recess out on the playground and picking teams. And, uh, we, you know, we would, a lot of times, everybody, we, we'd play basketball or football or kickball. And uh, the teams would be picked, and, and it was kind of... Uh, kind of weighted you know it wasn't really it was anybody who could kick the ball over the fence of the neighbor's yard they were on the good team and and everybody else so it was four of us against 20 and we always won because we could kick the ball over the fence right but we'd pick teams and and and, and sometimes we wouldn't just pick four, but everybody you know that well I'll take that one and I'll take that one and and you all know how that goes some people don't get picked till last, and it's like, oh, we always feel bad for the people that get picked last. I, I understand that, who aren't chosen. But understand this, as believers, it doesn't matter your ability, your race, your financial standing, your academic level. It doesn't matter any of that stuff. God chose us, Woo! because he loved us. Period. Not because of what we do or who we are or any of that stuff. God chose us because he loved us. He did not, and we've said this numerous times, but I want to say it again. He did not choose us because he looked down through the corridors of time and saw that we would choose him, so he chose us. That's baloney. That's really, really bad theology, folks. And you won't find that in the Word of God. So God chose us. And he chose us because of his love for us. That word chose is the same word as elect back in verses 1 and 2 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, chapter 1, verse 1, to God's elect. Exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God. We've been chosen. Wow. And it's not just a position of privilege. It's a position of service. God chose us to serve him. Secondly, he says, you are a royal priesthood. Now, I'm not going to dive into the word royal. There's a whole study on what it means to be a king, priest, a king and a priest, no priest, priest. 
was ever a king. But because God is our king, we're called priests. All of us who know Jesus, we are priests. We have in our minds what a priest is, right? It's a person who, who uh, listens to you confess your sin. It's a person who runs a church, a Catholic church. It's a person who, who does the service on Sunday morning and, and serves communion, the priest. And, and it is the one who goes the, b- before God on our behalf. Well, we are priests. There were priests in the Old Testament long before any church denomination. And in the Old Testament, it was a system of men that God set up to go on our or the behalf of God's people before God. But it was also a group of people who went to God's people on behalf of God. It worked both ways. And we today are called, not individually, yes, that's true, but we are called a group of priests who belong to the king, who serve him, who worship him. And we have direct access to God. We don't have to go through any human priest to get to God. Huh? Even in the Old Testament, that's what they had to do. They had to go to the temple or the tabernacle. And they had to offer their sacrifices. And the priest did that on behalf of the people. Today, you and I don't have to do that. Jesus did that once for all. And he made us believer priests a royal priesthood. You and I individually who know Jesus can go to God Almighty on our own any time we choose. That's an amazing thing. A holy nation, number three. You are a holy nation. We have been sanctified for obedience to Jesus Christ. Verse two says that. First Peter chapter one, verse two. We went there. That's what Peter's talking about. We've been sanctified for obedience to Jesus. We have been made holy. We have been set apart for him and his use. The word sanctified, right? That's the word holy. Set apart. We have been set apart for God's use. There's nobody else who can claim that. There's nobody else in the face of this earth that has been set apart by God for his use, for his purposes. Only those of us who know Jesus Christ and believe on him. We belong to God in a way that other people do not. Wow. What a privilege we have for that. The fact that we are set apart is obvious and visible by the way we live. In the Old Testament, you knew who the priests were. They had to live a certain way. The nation of Israel knew who the priests were. Today, we know who priests are typically. But the, the, the thing that we need to understand is God said that you will know who they are by the way they live. He's talking about all of us as believer priests, the church, and we will be known as that by the way we live, not by what we say. You see, we can, we can claim to be whatever. That's not going to prove anything. We live. According to the truth, the fact that sets us apart is the way we live as priests, believer priests before God, a royal 
priesthood, a holy nation. And then God's special possession. Wow, I love this one. And this is my show and tell. So I, I, I want to talk about some stuff that, that's special to me. Here's my Mike Schmidt guy. That's special. Hall of Famer baseball. Best third baseman ever to play the game. Somebody might not agree, but that's okay. You can be wrong. Oh, boy. See, I just broke my precious stuff. Now, this basketball. I have this basketball. My aunt Priscilla, not aunt. You got that right? Aunt Priscilla. And if I ever got it wrong, I would hear it. But Aunt Priscilla lived in Lansing, Michigan. That's why I'm a Michigan State fan. Because before I was even a year old, I was wearing green and white. Thanks to Aunt Priscilla, right? But as I later on in 1999, after they won the National NCAA Basketball Championship, um, she got me a Tom Izzo, who is the coach of Michigan State, signed basketball. Man, this sits in my office on a little pedestal because Tom Izzo, one of the greatest men's basketball coaches college level, there is. I mean, he's got all kinds of records and got one going on, right? But this stuff is precious to me. I don't know if this is all going to stay. There we go. I'll tell you what else is precious to me, and I've told you this before, but this is my wedding ring. Last night, I forgot to take it off when I went to bed. I always take it off and put it on my dresser. And I know right where it is after I get up and get showered and shaved. And, and, and I, I slept with it. I never do that. Well, rarely. Obviously, never is any good anymore because I did. <laughs> so uh, anyway, I, this is precious to me because it symbolizes my love and commitment to Jane. It means something to me. And if I ever misplaced, I misplaced it this morning. See, I got out of routine. I slept with it, and then I put it somewhere when I was shaving and getting showered, and, and, I, and then all of a sudden, I couldn't find it. You know where it was? On my finger. <laughs> but I panic whenever, because this is precious. It means that I love her, that she loves me, and we celebrated 48 years this last Wednesday together. So, so there you go. I mean, I'm, <laughs> folks, Craig and Shirley got to be doing, they're 60. I got a long way to go to get that old. Just kidding, Craig and Shirley. <laughs> but those are precious things. But listen, that's all stuff that when this life on this earth is over, it's done, it's gone, it's burned up, it means nothing. What lasts is my relationship with Jesus Christ. And we're told that we are God's special possession, God's own people, God's special property, a people belonging to God. Some translations say a peculiar people. That makes you sound odd, right? But the, what it means is that we are a unique possession. God owns us. Why? Because he bought and paid for us with the blood of Jesus Christ. An object of God's special care and attention. That's what we are. I wish I could drive that home. 
But that's where it's got to be the Spirit of God that makes you understand how blessed we are. That when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of our sin, we are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. It was Moses said it this way in Exodus chapter 19. He said the same thing of the nation of Israel, but Peter's saying the same thing of us as the church today. But this is how God feels about us. Exodus 19 verse 4. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. If those Jews, after they went through the Red Sea and how God delivered them from Pharaoh's army, they had to be yelling, we are, you know. Because what an amazing thing that was that God did. But he goes on, he says, you've, been, you've seen what I did to Egypt. Verse 5, no, if, now if you obey me fully, and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. God's declaring that publicly. Of all the nations of the world, you who know me, my special possession. I don't know how to say that any differently. Folks, let that sink in. If you know God, he calls us his one and only unique special possession. We as the church today are chosen. We're priests. We're holy. We belong to God. But why? Why? Real simple, verse 9. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. A different identity determines a different purpose. That's who we are. That means our purpose in life is totally different than those who don't know Jesus. Who have never believed who don't have a relationship with God by faith in Jesus Christ. But when we do, we've been given a different identity, and that determines our purpose. And our purpose is to declare his praises, to show forth, to proclaim loudly his excellencies. That's the word, the praises of him. His excellencies is the word. It also distinguishable qualities. That's what we're talking about. His grace and glory. And all throughout chapter 1, we saw that. His virtues, his attributes, his godness. Declare all about God. What we've experienced. What we know from his word. What we've seen him do. Who he is. What he has done. We tell everybody about it. It's just like those 100,000 people sitting in the Penn State Stadium yelling, We are Penn State. They don't, they don't care if anybody disagrees with them. They're going to yell it till they can't yell anymore. And certainly if they do that, we ought to be able to declare the praises, yell loudly, advertise, evangelize. You know what? That's what declaring his praises is. It's telling people who don't know anything about God or Jesus Christ. He went to the cross 
And folks, that's why we have names of people on there who don't know Jesus. What an, you want to know how the, those one is you pray for your one? Tell them about what God's done. Tell them about who he is. Let them know what he did for you. Tell them your story. Tell them about the grace that you experienced, the forgiveness of sin that came into your life. Glory, hallelujah, man. That's how God can use us to reach our one, to declare his praises. Why? Because he has called us from darkness to light. What a difference. I, I, I wish I could paint the picture of what darkness is. It's just, you study the word of God, it's, it's, it's unbelievably bad. You know, Peter, or Paul says it this way in Ephesians chapter 5. Verses 8 and 10, he says, For you were once darkness. He's talking to the Ephesian believers before they knew Jesus, before they'd been forgiven. He says, For you were once darkness. He's not just saying you were living in darkness. He said you were darkness. An unsaved person, a person without God in their life, he says, you were darkness. You were once darkness. But now are you light in the Lord. Live as children of light. And look at this. Find out what pleases the Lord. When we know Jesus because of who we are, what we find out what pleases the Lord. After 48 years, I know what pleases James. And I know what doesn't. And I try to do more of the pleasing than the non-pleasing. Right? When we know God because of who we are, we are to find out. We are to do everything we can to please the Lord. Why? Because we're light in the Lord. We need to live like it. So people see the light shining in us. So what now? Who you are determines what you do. Who you are determines what you do. Do you know who you are today? Do you know who you are? You're chosen. You're a royal priest. You're a holy nation set apart to God. You're God's special possession we are verse 10 the people of God once we were not the people of God but now and again Peter's talking to those who believe we are the people of God do you know what you're doing you ever had anybody ask you that question do you <laughs> do you know what you're doing I remember after one of my heart surgeries in the hospital, I was still in, I think, some kind of medium care, and, and I was just uncomfortable and tired and, and wanted to be left alone and hurting, and, and this nurse, she was trying to do something and hook up something, and she was taking hours, it seemed like, and I knew she was young, and I didn't mean to, and I looked at her, I said, do you know what you're doing? <laughs> Jane says, you What? When we think about that as a believer, do we know what we're doing? And by that I mean, are you declaring the praises 
of our great and amazing God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that just what automatically comes out of your mouth? We are the people of God. Father, thank you for Jesus. Oh, Lord, this morning I can't. I can't make anyone grasp the unbelievable depth of what you've made us to be, of our identity, of what you've given to us what it means to be chosen, what it means to be priests, what it means to be holy, what it means to be your special, unique possession. But God, I pray that your spirit would drive that into our hearts, that we would know who we are because of Jesus Christ. And when we understand that, that we'd be so full we can't help but tell everybody all that we can about who you are and what you've done. And God, if there's any here today who do not know Jesus, I pray that you would open their hearts, break down the unbelief, break down the disobedience, break down the stumbling, the falling, cause them to see that in Jesus and Jesus alone, they can be forgiven and given all of what we just talked about. They can have a new identity, no longer having Satan, the devil, as their father, but now being a part of the family of God. God, grip our hearts with that. And if there's one here today that doesn't know Jesus, Bring them to yourself. Cause them to believe. Help them to want to step out and say, I need help. I need Jesus. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.